Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 125 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most popular and increasingly respected movie stars in Hollywood, Ryan Reynolds. The 40-year-old Canadian has been acting since he was just 13 and first burst onto many people's radar as the star of the 2002 comedy Van Wilder. Over the years since, he has starred in movies of all shapes and sizes, from acclaimed indies like 2007's The Nines, 2009's Adventureland, 2010's Buried, 2014's Woman in Gold, and 2015's Mississippi Grind, to studio fare like 2004's Blade Trinity, 2009's X-Men Origins, Wolverine, 2009's The Proposal, 2011's The Green Lantern, and, most recently, 2016's Deadpool. That adaptation of a comic book about a most unusual superhero, which Reynolds, as one of its producers, fought for more than a decade to bring to the big screen, had a budget of $58 million, low for a movie of its genre. But upon its release in February, it exploded at the box office, grossing $132 million on its opening weekend, and by the end of its theatrical run, $363 million domestically and $783 million worldwide, making it one of the biggest hits of 2016. And it also garnered rave reviews. In recognition of his performance as Deadpool's irreverent title character, Reynolds received a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame, the Critics' Choice Award for Entertainer of the Year, and a Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy Golden Globe Award nomination. The film, meanwhile, has been recognized with the Best Picture Musical or Comedy Golden Globe nomination, as well as Producers Guild, Writers Guild, and Directors Guild Award nominations. And on January 24th, it might well show up among the Oscar nominees as well. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, Reynolds and I discussed a wide range of topics. Among them, the odds-defying way in which he landed his first professional acting job back in Canada, the many various obstacles that he faced over the years in bringing Deadpool to the big screen, how he ended up making another comic book movie, The Green Lantern, while simultaneously working to get Deadpool off the ground, how he felt about the box office failure of The Green Lantern and several other films soon after it, and what changes he made to write the direction of his career, and what he's made of the tremendous success, in every sense, of Deadpool, which has landed him firmly on Hollywood's A-list. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brian, thanks so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. We always begin by just asking, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. My parents, my dad was a police officer, and then later retired into a sort of nondescript food brokerage job. And then my mom was kind of a career student. She went to university pretty much all, still going to university. And she's 71. Wow. She's a senior student. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so I would have, you know, I think a lot of people might assume that based on the way things have worked out, you would have been a confident, you know, kid. But I, I read some things that suggested maybe there were you know, you were. It took a while to figure yourself out a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think. Well, I think most people are figuring themselves out well into their yeah, see, golden years. I think. But yeah, I wasn't a confident kid. No, I was just the opposite. I, I as a kid, and, I, and really as an adult, even more so, I, I always struggled with a bit of anxiety. So as a kid, I really kind of delved within. You know, I would find that as I was, you know, trying to kind of control others in my household by controlling my own behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I had a dad that was like. You know, his temperament was not unlike a skin-covered landmine. <laughs> you know, he was a smart guy. He was a tough guy. Yeah. He wasn't like, a, I don't mean to paint him like he was an abusive guy, but mm-hmm. he, was a, he was a hard guy. He didn't make things easy for, for anyone, especially himself. So, and it was so, you and a few, so how many siblings? It was myself and three older brothers, okay. yeah. So we all kind of had our own weird sort of maladaptive coping mechanisms to get through it all. And everybody turned out great, you know? We got, yeah. we got lucky. I think, <laughs> I think, you know, I look back at uh, being a kid and being like, you know, certainly more fortunate than a lot of kids that I knew growing up. But, you know, I had a roof over my head and I had food and all that stuff. But the, the sort of the, the hardships or the moments that really kind of hurt when you're younger are the moments that build great character when you're older. And I think had I not had those, as much as I bemoaned them in my early 20s looking back at them, then I don't think I'd be where I am now. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, where you are now, when did acting first enter the picture, even as just a messing around type of thing? What what, what point did that come along. I did improv comedy in Canada as a kid. I was in a little improv group with some guys from school. and Starting how young? 13. Wow. Yeah. And then I ended up, the acting thing was just kind of sort of by accident. I got chosen to do a, I didn't get chosen actually, a, a, a television show that was just this really kind of ultra low budget teen soap opera came to town. They were doing cattle calls mm-hmm. and anyone could come. But they also asked every high school to find their five best drama students and send them along. And I was not picked of course is one of those but I decided to go anyway yeah and luckily when I got there they did decided to not use script pages they just wanted to do improvised scenes about things and I had already been yeah, jumping in that arena a little bit so I was really quite ready but there were 5,000 kids there it was this huge Jesus. swatch of children everywhere so I it was I thought my chances were a little bit slim but little did I know they whittled it down and I ended up being one of these kids that were chosen and you sort of think oh 
I've made it. Like, I'm going to be rich. Yeah. But they actually paid us about $250 a week. <laughs> so I kept my paper route. Right. I kept uh, that for a few more years. And, and that was sort of my first sort of experience with, with the this showbiz thing. And then uh, ended up working normal jobs, you know, like sort of forklifts and, you know. But or, that show, so just so, because people may not realize how long you've been doing this. You were... 13 or 14 when you got yeah, this 13, was 13 yeah. this is 15 it was sort of a soap opera that was on Nickelodeon right yeah and you were working what was it it was in Florida right so this changed part your life it, in a big part way part of it was shot in Florida yeah one the first season was shot in Ottawa Canada which is the other side of Canada and then it was shot in Florida at Universal Studios which was such a great thing for a kid like okay. me who just you know really I went to this cattle call in the first place just to get out of the house yeah, yeah. so it was this great experience where I got to leave home and I got to live with a bunch of other guys in in this house with a kind of like sort of house mother sort mm-hmm. of chaperone type situation and you know get up to no good but nothing too crazy you know so how did school and things work did it just were you now out of the school system and privately doing this no god no I was still still school I'd stay, they, they would shoot these shows in in they would shoot something like 20 episodes in in a month. Wow. So I'd be gone a month and then mm-hmm. I would I would catch up when I got okay. back and yeah. I heard that there was sort of a conversation that happened when you were about 17 where you know after that show ended you were doing some TV movies and things but not especially fulfilled by what you were doing and yeah. was there somebody like a friend of yours who you sort of vented to a little bit about this and, and Yeah, I had a I had a buddy that I was about to that was the day before I was going to go to university. It wasn't really university, like it was like a local community college, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. And I, he, I just said I really don't want to go. And he was like, "Well, I'm, I'm going down to L.A. I'm just gonna go down to L.A. and just give this thing a shot." And, and I, I went. I said, "Okay, well, good luck." And I went the next day to university, and I, I quite literally spent 45 minutes there. And I, I walked in, walked in, <laughs> looked around, went, "Nope," and rolled back out. Got in my crappy Jeep and just drove for 21 hours straight to with Los him Angeles. or then meeting him there and meeting him there wow. yeah so and you were solo yeah I parked my car outside the Highland Gardens Hotel <laughs> and uh it's still around I think in Hollywood Franklin and in, in, in Hollywood and unloaded my bags came back out and my my crappy jeep was stolen oh yeah and I, oh. I found it four blocks away with no doors on it or anything oh. like that so it was kind of a nice little uh welcome to showbiz yeah, yeah. fuck you yeah. Welcome, welcome to LA yeah so and, uh, at that point though when you were Arriving out here and trying to settle in, what was the what was the dream at that point? What did it look like? Well, I I had no expectations. I mean, I was this seventeen year old kid. I had, you know, I had three hundred bucks, a rape whistle, and a bottle of water. <laughs> that was kind of it. So I really didn't have much. I just I just really wanted to join the Groundlings. I, that was my kind of my goal was to Big get the Groundlings. Growth, yeah. yeah, and that's not something that that pays money. You know, that you can live off of. So it was a really kind of an ill thought out. Plan. And um, with improv, yeah. what do you think had drawn you to that since you were 13? Now you wanted to keep doing it out here. I know it didn't work out with the Growlings, but I mean, there you've still comedy's been a thread throughout your whole mm-hmm. life. I mean, I think you you seem to be a great writer, even just reading your your tweets. Yeah, I like and, writing. Yeah, yeah. So was it ever possibly going to go in that direction where you would be a, a writer instead of a performer? Yeah, I, I mean, I always got to do both. I always got to write and perform. I don't, you know, when I write, I don't typically take writing credits and, and that's sort of stuff. I think actors get enough slaps in the back <laughs> that you don't need to start, you know, hogging all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I love the collaboration of it. I love the collaboration of writing and working on a on a sitcom, which is was, was my first big job in mm-hmm. Los Angeles was, was a sitcom. It was like the dream come true. It was, you know, live audience. So I was getting that kind of Groundlings experience that I was looking for, but it was also, you know, like a real paying television show. And this was two guys, a girl, and a piece two of place? Two guys, a 
a girl in a pizza place. Yeah. yeah they lost like, the pizza place. They ended up losing the pizza place at some point. Yeah. But, but it was a great group of people. And, and, and honestly, I loved every single right. member of that cast and crew. And, and I'm still in touch with them all. And it was great because I did the warm, I would do the warm up sometimes for the audience. I heard it was, that, so it was yeah. a lot of fun. It was just a fun uh, atmosphere, you yeah. know? I looked at my my contemporaries who were working on these hour long shows where they would be working these sixteen hour days or you know sometimes they're Fridays they called fratter days because they'd go all the way right into Saturday morning. Right. But so the sitcom life was just the, the greatest. I would work for six months or seven months of the year shooting the shows, mm-hmm. and then I would take the whatever you know I made on the show and I would just go wander the world for the remaining six months. I didn't have that like sort of ambition at that point like yeah. okay well, as soon as the show's done I gotta go get a movie go get a right, no, right. I, didn't, I didn't care I just like to go travel and this went on for a few years right so it started yeah. in 98 and then or 97 I think you got the part and then because the the first big movie I think the place where maybe you crossed most people's radar would have been Van Wilder yeah Van Wilder yeah 2002 <laughs> yeah to remind anyone who who either or to tell anyone who might not have seen it this is a it's been described as a gross-out comedy. I think it's it's more than that, but that's that's yeah. one way. On the one hand, it, it put you sort of more on the map. On the other hand, I've read that you didn't want to even hear the words Van Wilder for a while after afterwards. Is that fair? No, to say? I wouldn't say that. I know you know I was always grateful for that opportunity, but it was it was the National Lampoon brand, which is something I grew up with and loved. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you watch the movie, I'm really just doing the best Chevy Chase impression I can do. <laughs> you know, he was a big influence on me when I was a kid and I watched all his films and, you know, I worshipped Fletch as a, as a, like a 15 year old kid. And, but it was, it was great, but it was, it was always, it was, there was a weird kind of contradiction there because like the, the, the full title of the movie is Van Wilder party liaison. So like <laughs> I would go out to a, bar or a restaurant and, and when people would see me they'd be like let's line up the shots it's time to get wasted you know and I would see these guys coming up to me who had so much to drink they were legally boneless and I would I wasn't that guy so it was always this weird kind of thing and then I remember they, were, they wanted to do a I think they ended up doing two sequels both without me yeah it was one of those movies I had a couple of those movies in my career I think that one and I would say Waiting and mm-hmm. Just Friends mm-hmm. were all movies that didn't like really hit in the, in the box office didn't really resonate with critics but it had this like weird long cult life yeah. afterwards that that uh, people found the movie and sort of memorized it did drinking <laughs> games to it and you know so quote it back to you honestly, yeah probably it, yeah it was cool yeah. so the beginning of i guess a different thread of your career would have been i think blade trinity you were playing this undead detective hannibal king and and <laughs> this was sort of the first how dumb is showbiz like no, i mean you know, just listen you're like you play an undead detective and you're just like oh my god no, people well, have real jobs it, you know what people yeah. but you bring a lot of happiness mm, yeah, so yes yeah. but but the first sort of step into the world of i guess comic book superhero type movies did were those things that you had personally enjoyed growing up yeah, I mean, I like everyone, I liked the whole sort of, you know, the superhero genre was this cyclical thing. It would come around and it would sort of vanish for a while. So, I, yeah, I loved growing up. I loved watching the, the original Batman movies. And, you know, as a kid, I watched the, the Adam West version of the Batman yeah. show. And, and I loved it. But, no, I mean, as, at that point, you know, the, the Blade movie was a, just a job. It was, But it was a job I enjoyed yeah. and had, had a lot of fun doing. and. And got ripped for it, right? That was the first time you really had to physically yeah, had to, get in shape for a... Yeah, I remember David Goyer, who's a name that a lot of comic book junkies will know, but he he was the director and the writer of it, and he said, you know, you got to get pumped up for this. And I was like, oh, well, what does that mean? And I, <laughs> so I just started doing it. But I, I've always been that guy, like, I, I have no sort of ability to 
do things with moderation. Right. So I just went, just all, went in. all in and twenty five pounds of muscle. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. It all just vanished about three months after I finished shooting, <laughs> but uh, but it was cool. Yeah. And you did get to display some of your improv skills on that. I am told that you are fully responsible for quote. You cock juggling thunder cunt, close uh, quotes. Well, so that was. Yeah, well, I don't know if I <laughs> can take full responsibility for that, uh, but, given uh, the circumstances. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the next year, so this is how far back we're going. 2005 was, from what I understand, the beginning of the whole relationship with Deadpool. And maybe you can share yeah. how it first crossed your radar and what the holdup was. Oh, God. Well, it started actually on Blade. I was sent the comic books by an executive who had control of the, at that point, of the Deadpool rights. And I opened a comic book, and there it was. And one of the first things I saw on the panel was just the most shocking thing you could imagine seeing, which was my own name was in the comic <laughs> book. There was a moment where somebody asked Deadpool what he looks like under the mask, and he says, I look like a cross between uh, Sharpay and Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> and I just thought, this is odd. This is yeah. like some sort of weird star-crossed moment. And kept plowing through them and, and just really saw an opportunity for something that was completely different. You know, this guy um, operates in, in, in ways that really I felt meshed really well with both the things that I appreciate and my sensibilities mm-hmm. and, and just the, the, the meta aspect, the fourth wall breaking, the self-awareness, the, mm-hmm. the uh, filtering his pain through this prism of humor. And like, I just loved it. You know, I just thought there's just sort of like the sky was the limit for a character like this. And and I remember having meet. I remember having a meeting with uh, at the time Avi Arad, mm-hmm. who who I think owned and ran Marvel. Mm-hmm. This is before it was all sold off. This is a real history lesson here. No, it's good. With Avi Arad and Stan Lee, and sitting in an wow. office with these two guys talking about how we can get a Deadpool movie made. And at that point, David Goyer even signed on to to shepherd the project, and then it had a few other people and. It was just this this rock. I kept rolling up a hill that kept coming back down on top of me. It just never could get the traction that I thought it it, it What merited. do you think was the issue? It's so weird, you know? I think it's just a strange property for people to really... There's something slightly abstract about it, if you think about it. It's not like a safe bet, you mm-hmm. know? And it's also not a cheap bet either. Right. I mean, granted, we ended up shooting the the Deadpool movie on a shoestring budget as far as superhero mm-hmm. movies are concerned. But I think people f- were a little wary of it, you know? Also, anytime you put the Marvel logo up and you're, you're doing a Marvel character, you think, like, if it doesn't work, you've sort of burned it. Right. And you and you, you really got to wait a number of years before you can reinvent it. So I think there was a lot of trepidation. And that same sentiment sort of traveled all the way into the upper echelons of Fox when we finally got the the project over there and, and tried to get it going. So it was... Yeah. So then the... the while the holdup was taking form and it was obviously over a decade of waiting around to, or not waiting around, but just trying to get it off the ground. In the meantime, you, I want to ask you about some of the other movies you did. I think it's interesting, the movie, just one in particular, the nines in which you played three different Mm. characters, a game designer, TV producer, and a star made for less than a million bucks. And yet it seems like it would have been an interesting acting challenge. And you've said before that, Quote, that was the birth of my own ambition, close quote. Yeah, I really thought it was, I guess it's a little irresponsible to say it was the birth of my ambition, but it was, God, I say stupid things sometimes <laughs> when you read them back to me. It really changed my idea of film. It really, I really saw, suddenly saw film as this like limitless medium, like this place that you could really die and be reborn over and over again and reinvent yourself and do all kinds of fun things. And I loved that project. I loved working with John August, who's still a very close friend of mine. And just kind of opened my eyes to the idea that you can, you know, you don't have to be the just the wacky neighbor on a sitcom, which is what my earlier ambitions were. <laughs> you can kind of explore, you know, to the farthest ends of the, the showbiz universe, whatever it is that you want to explore. So. Right. 
So that one was that one was 2007. And then in 2009, you did one that I think is an amazing movie and underappreciated, and that's Adventureland, which oh, yeah, was okay. just a great ensemble movie. And and you were excellent. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that because it also was the beginning of a very big year for you that one was at Sundance in 2009 so maybe just anything that stands out about that <laughs> yeah eventually it was a lot of it. Greg Mottola is a brilliant you know brilliant director and what a cast I mean I Jesse Eisenberg you have Kristen Stewart Bill Hader Kristen Wiig you know it's just an incredible group of people and, and a beautiful story and a small movie and one that I really appreciated being a part of I yeah. loved it yeah but it was that was a big year that was a I remember that was a well, because then the next thing would have been, I think, in May of that same year, you, you do X-Men Origins Wolverine, where for the first time you're playing this guy who becomes Deadpool, right? <laughs> yeah. And how did yeah. that come up? I mean, that's kind of where you were still trying to get an actual movie about Deadpool. and I was desperately trying to get a movie about Deadpool made, and, and Fox controlled the rights, and we sort of had went back and forth on these ideas of making a Deadpool movie, and in the end they just said look we're going to put Deadpool in Wolverine I thought great yeah. like I you know knowing some of the canon of Deadpool I thought okay so Deadpool's going up against Wolverine but that wasn't the case at all <laughs> it, was a, it was a be careful what you wish for situation and you know to I, look in the in the marketing and, and some and certainly in the actual body of the real Deadpool movie we make fun of the studio for this sort of thing but mm-hmm. at the time if you if you actually were to break it down and look back at it it was during it was an against all odds situation I mean there was a writer strike mm-hmm. on there was nothing happening I mean Deadpool's scenes in that movie I remember in the script just said Deadpool shows up talks really fast says funny things like so was, you were literally having to come up with this right yeah I, I just wrote my own lines which was fun and, and something that you know I, I like doing and, and, and that was great but then they you know they took this really weird narrative turn in the middle of the movie which was that Deadpool somebody and I would assume it had to be an executive because no there were no writers available at the time <laughs> so an executive decided let's sew his mouth shut right. and do the one thing that you know that you know sort of counteracts everything fiber of Deadpool's real being mm-hmm. so it was a little devastating yeah. honestly like it was really sad I don't yeah. I don't even play that part of the movie as much as people think I'm, I'm only in a couple of shots it's a wonderful actually wonderful performing Scott Adkins who mm-hmm. does the, the 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 heavy lifting of the Deadpool in that movie but coming out of that one did you think shit that was my stab at Deadpool or did you think I was fucking depressed and bummed out and you know I just yeah because it was sort of like it was a situation of like yeah you can play Deadpool and Wolverine and hopefully we could you know launch a real dead you know a full Deadpool canon on its own or we can hire someone else you know and and I understand their business model and why they have to do that but it was just like a sort of it was tough you know Mm -hmm. it was like okay well maybe I can make Wade Wilson that part of it sound as much like Deadpool as as possible and and I tried and mm-hmm. you know but uh you know it's uh, the best laid plans you know yeah. it's, it was that was a tough one so that yeah that one that one hurt a little bit but it also opened up a lot of doors for yeah. me too you know I have a, I've had a what I think is a lifelong friendship with Hugh Jackman since yeah. then because you're just not going to find a, a classier kinder yeah. better performer anywhere you know so he was uh he was it was great getting to spend that time with him and then later that summer just a month or two later was the proposal which I think was the one of the most successful rom-coms that has come along this century and you have great comedic and romantic chemistry with Sandra Bullock who I think you've become good friends with and just wonder you know did you guys anticipate I know this was sort of her genre as well up before that but could you guys have imagined that it would have done as well as it did 
No, I, no, but but I had known her for ten years before we shot that, so we had a chemistry already kind of in place, which was nice. That's yeah. sort of a bit of a cheat sheet, but I think it's also you know the the movie's great. People love the love the chemistry. They mm-hmm. love the 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 story. Mm-hmm. They love the movie in general. But I also think it's just it's timing, timing, timing. It came around right when there was a huge drought of romantic comedies. There hadn't been one in right. years, so right. it was sort of a perfect movie at the perfect time, and and it really worked. I certainly didn't see it coming, and. I don't know if Sandy did. I mean, she's she's per, you know she's used to a much higher level of success than I certainly am. So I think she was uh, maybe she did see it coming. I don't know. How after that though did you find you know your own life and and career opportunities changing? I think it was right after that that you had your people's sexiest man alive and oh, some of yeah. this stuff. I know you'd been uh, you'd been on the list before, but now you're number yeah, one. Yeah. All these different things. Sure. That, did you feel that your yeah. options and star power, whatever, in Hollywood mm. were markedly different after that? A little bit. I mean, yeah, anytime you have a movie that has huge box office rewards, it, you, you certainly are availed to a lot of different material and a lot of different things. But, you know, it, it sort of led to a bunch of other things, which mm-hmm. was which was fantastic. But it was... Yeah, it felt like a bit of a different era, mm-hmm. you know? But you always, I don't know if anyone feels like it's, oh, maybe some guys do, I don't know. I feel like kind of entitled with it, like, yeah, of course, this is like how it's supposed to be. And I don't, I never really was comfortable with that. So right. it's always kind of, all of it was kind of a shock, you know? Another one that I think was in the works probably before that one even became a big hit, but which I thought you, one of the, the best performances I've seen you give was as this truck driver contractor in Iraq who gets trapped they basically kidnapped and buried alive in the movie Buried a year later, 2010. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, this is like a Hitchcockian challenge. Yeah. That must have been very different than anything you've ever had to do. Oh, man, that was that's one of my favorite movies yeah. I've ever done. I mean, if you look at the log line, you just think, no. How do you <laughs> do a movie? Just, that's yeah. just stupid. Why would you do that? But it was such a beautiful experience and a really beautiful film. And Rodrigo Cortez, who's the director, is just a uh, obsessive uh, Alfred Hitchcock fan. You know, you look at a lot of Alfred Hitchcock did a lot of isolation type films. Yeah. You know, even Rope is an isolation yeah. type film and Lifeboat certainly yeah. is one. And so it, it's creating a universe with very little. And that's what he did. And it was, you know, he, he built a whole world inside this tiny little wooden box for this guy. And you really I loved it because I learned so much in that process, because the, the character that's in the coffin is, is actually kind of an asshole. And I learned that it's it's much more interesting to watch somebody that, that you automatically have empathy for no matter who they are because they're in a situation that's unimaginable mm-hmm. and horrible. So we really liked exploiting that idea that like he's not somebody you would necessarily want to have a beer with when he when he gets out of the, if he gets out of this right. coffin, but but you want him desperately yeah. to get out of this coffin. Yeah. So it was fun telling stories in that kind of way, filtering it through that prism. And I just, that movie really is one of my all-time favorites. It's fantastic. Yeah. I keep trying to remember where I saw it, if it was maybe Tribeca Film Festival maybe. or one of these. Sundance. It did, it did the yeah. rounds. Yeah. It did all the sort of European rounds. Yeah, people should yeah. track it down. I don't know if yeah. it's Netflix or whatever. But so the w- first one, though, that I would think was maybe in some ways the result of the proposal success would have been The Green Lantern. Yep. And <laughs> and with, with Deadpool, meanwhile, still not going anywhere, that comes along and you did it and I just wonder how it arose but also did you pursue it because you assumed that Deadpool was dead I would assume that Marvel yeah. has probably not it's it's weird to jump between the two Marvel it's, and it's, DC you have to you have to kind of look at the the, the Deadpool journey as if it's though you're using the framework of a, of a standard romantic comedy which is that guy gets girl Guy falls in love with girl. Guy loses girl. Guy right. makes public declaration of love for girl. Right. Except this one didn't have a happy ending at the time. Right. So, what really went down, and it's kind of 
wild to think back now, but I was, I remember I was auditioning for Green Lantern and they were doing these really extensive screen tests and they were screen testing a bunch of other guys that were my peers that were, I thought just incredible, Mm -hmm. like unbelievable talents. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to get this. And then I made it through another screen test and another one. And then I thought, oh my God, I think I might actually get this. So I quickly called the executive I knew at Fox who had Deadpool. And I said, look, <laughs> I am standing uh, at the altar right now right. about to say I do to someone else. <laughs> if I will walk away from this, if you think that you just even think that you will make a Deadpool movie, that you can make a Deadpool movie with me. And, and he said, unfortunately, no, I don't think that that's going to happen. So, so I went off and did Green Lantern. And then what was weird, the weird sort of plot twist is that there was some, somehow, some way, Deadpool got reinvigorated at Fox. So while this I, was happening. While this was happening. So we ended up, I ended up flying back from New Orleans where we were shooting Green Lantern and meeting a whole bunch of writers and directors. And then finally met this pair of writers named Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. And this is in 2009 mm-hmm. or eight, 2009, I think. And we just immediately hit it off and we've all been super great friends ever since and immediately hit it off and what a lot of people don't know is we were they flew to new orleans we spent some time in new orleans while i was shooting green lantern we were actually all together writing oh my gosh in the hopes that somehow some way comes back to life it would come back to life yeah Yeah. and i knew the odds were against us because i thought wow like you know if green lantern is a huge hit they're never gonna they're never going to accept me as both. Right, two and franchises. if Green Lantern is a huge failure, which it ended up being, <laughs> right. I, I'm, they're never going to hire me right, for either. Right, so, right. so it really was a strange uh, journey. It was like just to think that we were we were breaking the story of Deadpool, the original Deadpool movie, on basically right, another another kind of in a house that was being paid for yeah. by Green Lantern's dime <laughs> was a weird situation. So. so, why do you think Green Lantern didn't pan out better? Well, you know, I've spoken about this before, and it's not, it certainly is no reflection on how hard everybody worked on the movie. I mean, nobody sets out to make a movie that doesn't work. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it fell prey to some of the classic studio tropes, which is that, like, you know, you go for a poster first, a release date second, or vice versa, and script last. Right. And it just never really understood what it was. It never really, you know, there was no kind of way into it where you think, okay, this is what, what it is. This is what it is in tone and character. And I never... And maybe that's my fault too. I don't. I mean, it probably is. I, I just never quite kind of got the. I could never quite. I never had that thing to grab onto where I was like, okay, this is this guy, and this is his journey, mm-hmm. and this is what he wants. Right. And you know, you always have to ask yourself, what is the what does your protagonist want? And and in that movie, we didn't really have a clear idea. Of I that. guess once the wheels are already in motion, it's hard to say stop and let's yeah, clarify. you know. And the only way you kind of could sort of course correct is to try to just spend more money and it was so that was the situation that was happening there and i just i remember thinking like i wish they i wish they would just take whatever money that they're like firing into so many of these albeit worthwhile effects mm-hmm, set mm-hmm. pieces and just you know really just great get some great writers right. here and let's 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 see how we can make this something smaller but more special and you know it didn't happen but it, it's also like the, you know it's not that that that's how this works this business works these are not real problems these are uptown problems well it was a learning, so, learning experience yeah yeah it was a huge learning experience and you know, i guess the upside was you did meet your future wife was it on I that did, movie yeah <laughs> yeah we were yeah we were well we were buddies for another two or three years after that and that's that's when we actually we ended up getting together much later so like many many years later no 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 no, no. <laughs> that's we always were, dangerous no things. yeah that's always yeah, 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 yeah no, no, that's that's not something you ever want to do right but, uh, so yeah. when you when you have a movie like that that performs disappointingly or 
we can talk about this now because you've certainly come through the other side. But I mean, there was I've a, talked about it when I didn't come through the other side. Right. So I'm, I'm all right talking <laughs> no, about well, it. No, well, just because yeah. you had a you had a little period there where it was Green Lantern, Change Up, R.I.P.D., where it yeah. must have felt like you're just getting punched left and right, right? Y- y- yeah, a little bit. But, you know, yeah, you, you, you do. But you're also sort of, you want to, once you're a working actor, you like, like staying a working actor yeah. you know so yeah it was it was an odd it was an odd series one of those movies was safe house which actually really mm-hmm. worked but i think it was a little overshadowed by the other ones that didn't so it was it was a rough go but at the same time i look back at it i was never like sitting around going you know woe is me my right, life right, sucks right. you go i'm a working i like very lucky to have had those opportunities even though they didn't pan out the way you know anyone wanted so. but there was a, an interesting decision that you made which i think makes a lot of sense and it seems to have paid off which seems like it would have been right around the period of that when when those movies were coming out so i would guess like late 2013 it looks like where you basically said let's change up the team around me, which you'd had for a long time, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and what goes into that? And do you really think that is largely responsible for the amazing run that's that's happened since? I think, you know, I think you can certainly apply some credit to that. It's working with a team that, you know, you believe in and they believe in you. And, you know, that's always a huge bonus and it helps. But, you know, I think it was a mixture of many things, you know. One of the things that was a, was a part of that, situation was just dumb fucking luck you know it was that it was that you know we'd had this test footage for Deadpool that was sitting around right around that time and shortly thereafter that that footage ends up on the internet and you wouldn't have any idea how that happened no idea how that happened you know I don't know I don't even even have a send button on my computer yeah so that you know it was it was a it was a combination of things because yeah that was July 2014 it leaks online people love it now where did that that test footage was taken when and for what reason? Like, uh, well, let's go through the timeline. In 2009, yeah. I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're breaking story. Me, Rhett, and Paul, we're spending a lot of time on the script. We finally have a draft of the script. That script is going around. We're meeting a number, number of different directors. A couple directors actually had signed on. And then, you know, it didn't end up not working mm-hmm. out for, for a number of different reasons. And then around 2000, and I want to say 11, Tim Miller signed on. Mm-hmm. And he just really genuinely had a great and beautiful passion for Deadpool and I think he for till the day he dies he will he just really got right. it and understood it and so Tim basically thought okay I'm a visual effects guy I have a visual effects studio and I guess he convinced the studio to say hey let's throw a little bit of money into this just a little bit you know tiny tiny bit of money to just give you a little one and a half minute sort of sequence for like Deadpool. a real almost, so yeah. yeah so we all furiously got to sort of working on what that might be and and writing it out and making sure it was the it was the right thing and and just something that really caught the tone of it and and then it just sat on the shelf for years it didn't i don't know i don't know i don't know how that happened yeah. it just i would revisit it every like <laughs> two months right. just sort of wistfully like right. some lover scorn right. looking and going like how do they not like this right. this is really good i think this is Fun and then you know it just goes to show that nobody knows anything. Suddenly that's on the internet and then boom, it's suddenly you have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Just they're suddenly become your your five hundred pound lawyers uh, arguing yeah. on your behalf. <laughs> and you know the next thing you know they they've green light lighted the movie, green lit the movies. And in the meantime, just to talk about the movies that came out after the footage leak, but before Deadpool came out, some of your strongest work in and and in low budget movies, we've got. The Voices in 2014, The Captive for Adam McGowan in 2014, Woman in Gold opposite Helen Mirren in 2014, The Mississippi Grind in 2015 for Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, who people, you know, yeah. art house people love. And I guess 
did it feel like you were just reinvigorated in some way or it just worked out that way? Well, there was raw scripts I loved and, yeah. and really fell in love with, particularly the voices in Mississippi Grinder yeah. too that I just thought were so special. And I thought, I, you know, I, I, again, you don't want to bemoan anything because they're all lucky to be working, but man, that Mississippi Grind should have, I thought it should have got a little more traction. Totally. It was such, it was a, amazing. such a well-crafted movie and all that credit goes to Ryan and Anna. They well, just, you they and Mendelssohn so have awesome chemistry uh, too. I, I, loved, I loved working with Ben Mendelssohn. I, I never wanted that to end. And it was just one of those beautiful jobs where you're, you know, you're spending all day and night with each other and, it, and there's never a moment where you'd, where you'd want to be anywhere yeah. else. And it was, and you could see it on screen, you know, it was such a, it's a, it's a movie that's a love of love story between two guys, totally. who, you know, who are just basically unlucky in life. That's yeah. great. I think he's so talented yeah, as well. Too. I, too. I heard with Women in Gold, just one, one little follow up here. Harvey, Harvey did not love you wearing glasses in the movie. No, he didn't like wearing, <laughs> me wearing glasses. Oh, there's a couple of things that he did. I don't think, he, I don't think he loved that I was wearing glasses and I don't think he, he, I, I think he always was, felt like there's something off. <laughs> but wait, I don't think I still don't think he knows that I'm actually wearing false teeth. Were you? I yeah, know. Oh yeah. Gosh. They're very subtle, but they're just enough to kind of make your my teeth look a <laughs> little screwy. A little and yeah, yeah, yeah. Harvey's been one of my all-time favorite experiences just yeah. to know him and to <laughs> to be around him and to watch him yeah. sort of operate in this business, this oh, crazy character, business. Yeah. He's a, oh, he's also old-fashioned in the best way. Yeah, you know? totally. So now, as Deadpool's starts finally coming together, yeah. were you being at all pressured to do it as a PG-13 as opposed to an R? That had happened many years before. We had done several iterations of the script in which we, we, we toned it all down. And it was just, that was also a little heartbreaking, you know? It just felt like we always intended the movie to be small in scale so we could be, you know, so we could have a rated R or an R rating. So it was just, yeah, it was one of those things where we have, their scripts still exist. I mean, we have, I have them on my computer. They're, they're fine. They're not, they're not bad scripts. They're still, still very fun. I think the movie still would have been very successful. Mm-hmm. It just, it just wouldn't have had that real bite that yeah. it needed that the R rating gave us. So, so yeah, but the, there was, there was a lot of talk about that. But once, once that test footage leaked and once the studio sort of got wind of the appetite of, of, this character for the fans they gave us a green light but they gave us a green light with you know again the bare absolute bare bones yeah, minimum 58 million dollars for a superhero movie is not no our comic book movie is not no, a lot no and so then the first subsequent audience exposure to the movie would have been at comic-con yeah that was comic-con was the first time we put it in front and of what was audience. that like because they went nuts well it's weird because yeah. you're you know if you're me in that situation i'm so close to it from for so many years i mean at that point it's 10 years nearly 10 years and i'm i'm just it's like so i have no objectivity anymore and you know we all collectively sat in that edit room for for eons and and you know really just like had spent days just just discussing like changing two frames of certain shots so there was such a a producer on it as well i'm a producer on it as well yeah so i i you know it was uh it was it was strange to walk in that audience and think I, and have no idea what the reaction would be. Whereas some of the other people that were that were on in the know and had seen the footage from the studio, they they were very bullish, and I didn't know what to make of that. So when that when that audience went ballistic, ballistic, yeah, yeah. and then also like screaming for us to play it one yeah. more time was one of the strange. It was actually Hugh Jackman is the a lot of people don't know is the reason they played it one more time. Really, because the the stage manager said we don't have time to play it one more time. We're not going to play it one more time. <laughs> and he Hugh was coming on next for the yeah. X Men panel, and he was the guy who said, "Mate, play it one more time. <laughs> That's great. Play it one more time now." <laughs> and off we went. They That's played it one awesome. more time. It was a pretty cool. It was a great moment. It was a really great moment. And. You know, I was fixated on like really stupid things, like 
you know, we didn't get the song we wanted for the, the Hollaback Girl was a song that we had in the in the in the <laughs> script forever, right. and we couldn't afford it. So right. we ended up getting a song that plays so much better. Actually, ironically, was which was Shoop, which was just mm-hmm. this beautiful, perfect song by Salt and Pepper. But I was still worried if it would. Cause I was so used to at that right, point of, right, of Hollaback right. Girl playing in that exact same spot, and it. I saw every head in Comic Con bopping Bop up and down in the song. But I was like, oh, this is working. This is working. Right. Yeah. So when the when the film itself eventually in its entirety gets released had a again 58 million dollar budget 132 million dollar opening weekend yep it's 363 million domestically in the end and 783 worldwide that's pretty astounding and i just wonder if you can step outside of it for a second and just sort of try to give your objective analysis what were people hungry for that you guys provided? Why did it do so well? Again, I think, it, well, I think the movie is unusual. The movie's groundbreaking in a lot of ways. It does, it takes and usurps certain tropes in the in the superhero genre that that were, were well ready to be usurped. Mm-hmm. And again, timing, timing, timing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, we're kind of at peak superhero in terms of tone and, and it just offered something completely different with that respect. And it also had just an unabashed commitment to its R rating. Yeah. And, you know, I, as I look back again, and I sort of can look sort of in hindsight, obviously it's 2020, but mm-hmm. I could look back and go, okay, well, why did it work? It, it knew what it was, you know, and, and I always knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly mm-hmm. how to play this guy. I, I, I felt like I, I felt in some weird way, not to sound like too kind of over the top with it or esoteric, but I felt like in a weird way, I was like born to yeah. play this guy. I could really understood him. And it just kind of popped, you know? It's just one of those things. And it also had a weird release date for yeah. it to was do it money March like something? that. It was February. It was a Valentine's Feb- Day right. weekend. It was unusual in a lot of ways. It, it changed things for a lot of studios, too. You know, suddenly oh, yeah. suddenly the calendars are all new different. these yeah. days. You know, it's, there's no there's no sort of bad month or bad date. So. And, I mean, if anyone hasn't yet seen it, we can remind them that, or, you know, tease without spoiling anything, that from these these tongue-in-cheek opening credits to breaking the fourth wall to references even to your own career and mm-hmm. and things like the like the Green Lantern and yeah. uh, I mean it's 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 just really not what people are used to and you said quote I've never done a job where I gave my last drop of blood and this was that and yeah. so you just personally over those 11 12 years I guess 11 years never really doubted that it would work yeah, I, I never, I never doubted that it would work as a character and a concept. Right. I did no idea that it would be successful right. in, in a right. fiscal sense, in a right. box office sense, and I, and 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 it's in a certain way that I didn't really care about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a huge wake up call to me as well. Is that when you do a film or do something, it's and you're so passionate about it, and you love it. So I mean, I genuinely like yeah. have the the biggest cartoon hearts that come out of my eyes when I get to think about playing this guy <laughs> and when you love it like that you sort of abandon the idea that you're invested in its outcome so it came from this place of love and it was just it worked and so to see it rewarded in that way or just you know forget about the box office aspect just the fact that people all around the world embrace this character and love the character yeah. that was a very very cool pinch me moment yeah. that that really never happens so yeah. successful not only at the box office but let's let's just list a few things that have happened in the last month or so yeah you got your star on the hollywood walk of fame which i don't think is unrelated to the success of <laughs> no, this movie probably not. you got a special critics choice award for entertainer of the year yeah. you got a best actor in a musical or comedy golden globe nomination and then the film got a best picture musical or comedy golden globe nomination plus and this is where a lot of people were kind of taken aback because it's just so unusual for this genre of a movie 
PGA, WGA, and now DGA nominations. Mm. And we'll see what happens on January 24th with, with the Oscar nominations. But what do you make of, of that aspect of it? And and I guess what would you say if there's any Academy members listening to this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here's your chance. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think the reason that the Academy expanded it's the number of best picture films that could be submitted mm-hmm. is, is, is indicative of situations maybe like this. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you have a, you have a character that has really captured the sort of the popular vote, if you want to yeah. say it. And it's, you know, I think, and I don't know, but I, I would suspect that some of the reason that some of the reasons that we've, we've, we've garnered all this awards attention mm-hmm. that we had no literally, and this is not <laughs> false modesty. Saying, right. I, we had no idea we would right. ever get anything beyond a MTV movie award, best right. kiss <laughs> nomination. But, but the fact that it's, you know, the PR peers, the WGA and the PGA and, you know, the critics choice and all these things, it's, it's been, it's been incredible, but I think they're also attracted to the story behind the story, which is that, you know, this was a, a labor of love that, that, that spans well over a decade. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot, a, it's a kind of a, you know, it's hard to say this about a big studio film, you know, because it is when, with respect to when you compare it to some of the smaller films that are being in, in contention, but it is a bit of a Cinderella story mm-hmm. in that sense. So, you it's know, it's like rock. It's one of these stories where you just, it is the lore of the behind the movie is, yeah. is known to everybody as well. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. And I think, I think it, I, if it does end up in that category, I think that's kind of a cool moment for not just us, but for everybody, for yeah. the people that went to see the movie, the people that made the movie, the, the studio, I think the, even the Academy, I think yeah. it's kind of a neat moment to you know i don't think any superhero film has ever really broken that glass ceiling so it'd be nice to see one like deadpool do it um but i can certainly promise one fucking crazy reaction (laughs) video online of in the suit in the deadpool suit guaranteed (laughs) yeah it's gonna it's gonna uh, we'll see that's awesome well so just as a final question i know you're I think now at work on Deadpool two. I don't know if that's even the, even the title, but is that? Your I name? am on, on work at this, on the sequel to Deadpool, which I also don't know what. The okay, title is. all right. <laughs> yeah. So that's in motion, yeah. but yeah. like you know, at this very momentous moment in in your career, and we've been through it all just now, just talking about the ups and downs. It's a pretty. It's hard to imagine it gets much much more up than this. What's your evaluation of the big picture, and and what's left to do? Is there a specific goal or thing that you really want to? capitalize on at this point you know i don't know it's one thing about deadpool and the and that character it's it's quite literally excluding the time i spent with my family and my daughters it swallowed my life whole (laughs) so it's it's, when i say it's a full-time job that's kind of the understatement of the year it's something that that i've quite literally never stopped working on since i stepped off set a year and a half ago because of promotional things yeah i mean it's the one of the few times i've ever seen where the promotional aspects of the film the marketing was a direct extension of the movie itself so you know early on we all sort of felt like Working with Mark Weinstock and the gang at Fox mm-hmm. in, in, in marketing, I really felt like we had to uh, create content of Deadpool that is not called directly from the film. So you're really doing it. What the job, the mission was, was to introduce this character to audiences where we're not having to kind of exploit some right. of the stuff, that's right. the special stuff that's in the film. So if we could find a way to do that and do it in a way that really caught those audiences like the, the the video game playing audience you know the ones that don't necessarily always go to the films anymore mm-hmm. or go see movies anymore so we really got to pierce through that and then from that point of like where the marketing ended to has just been developing the second yeah. movie and it's just sort of a you know it's a it's every single day all day and it's been one of the great pleasures of my life but it's also not without its challenges right. that's for sure so yeah well congratulations yeah. and thank you so much for doing this thank you for having it. me thank awesome. you for having me yeah
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.